Well, it's great to be here this evening. It's good to see you all out this evening. Uh, let's uh, open up in a word of prayer and uh, just commit ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for this Lord's Day. We thank thee for what has transpired thus far. And we do pray, Lord, that you would be with us this evening. Bless our fellowship together. Uplift us in our most holy faith. Draw us closer to yourself. Father, we do pray that you take the speaker, hide him behind the cross, that no man might be seen, save Jesus only. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honour and the glory in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. This evening's message is a three-pronged message. It's coming in three parts. It's probably one of the longest titles I've ever put on a message. Now, I want you to listen to the title, but don't be thinking too much about it as we go. It is 12 nuns barreled up, one nun missing, and four Roman nuns found. Did you get that? Twelve nuns barreled up, one nun missing, and four Roman nuns found. The first part of the message is really a, a true story. Our first thought tonight, if you like, is about twelve nuns barreled up. It's a true story. In the 1500s and 1600s, thousands of young girls were sent to monasteries to train as nuns. For some, it was a chosen way of life. For others, it was forced upon them. Once you were there, it was forbidden to leave. Many tried at the cost of their lives. The Roman Catholic Church was very powerful in those days and led down the law. Even kings and queens had to obey. One young lady who was born in 1499 was sent off to a monastery training school at five years of age. She spent time in a Benedictine cloister being educated then sent to a monastery sometime later at nine years of age. Let me stop there. Does anybody know who I'm talking about yet? Okay, good. Her name was Katharina von Bora. Does anybody know who she is? Good. I can go home now. <laughs> Katharina von Bora. When she was 23 years of age, she was very interested in what a young priest of the Roman Catholic Church was teaching. The just shall live by faith. His name, of course, was Martin Luther. She and another 11 nuns wanted to flee the monastery. So Katharina contacted Martin Luther and begged him for his help. On Easter Eve, the 4th of April, 1523, 
Luther sent Leonard Kopp, a city councilman and a merchant who, on a regular basis, delivered herrings to the convent. The twelve nuns escaped by hiding in the fish barrels. Katerina von Bora later married Martin Luther, had six children together. And of course, Martin Luther's marriage to Katerina was extremely important to the development of the Protestant church and the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. I thought that was an interesting story to start off this evening, a true story. Twelve nuns barreled up. Next, there is the mystery of the missing nun, pronounced nun rather than nun. In Psalm 145, there's a missing nun. And to my knowledge, it has never been explained. Maybe Pastor Bob or Pastor Gavin will be able to explain it to me a little bit later, but we'll see. Now, Psalm 145, it's a great affirmation of praise. I mean, Troy alluded to that. It's a great affirmation of praise. There are no petitions here. There are no requests here. There's no asking for anything here. It's purely a psalm of praise. And folks, perhaps not would be a, a good time to remind ourselves that whenever we go to prayer, the charismatics do not have the monopoly on praise. And whenever we come into our Heavenly Father's presence, it need not be with requests, but with praise on our lips. You know, too often believers go to the Heavenly Father with petitions and requests. I thought about this, and uh, as parents, and many of us are parents, as parents we all love to hear our children giving us praise and loving remarks. Of course, when our children become teens and teenagers, Sometimes there might be an ulterior motive behind it. <laughs> dad, you're terrific. You're the best dad in the world. Can I borrow the car tonight? And sometimes there might be an alternative motive behind it. Nevertheless, it's still nice to be told and to be praised. Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise. Now, Psalm 145, verses 1 to 6, we see exhortations, as it were, to mediate and meditate on God's greatness and God's goodness. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness, folks, is unsearchable. And this thought continues on in verse 6. I will declare thy greatness. And as we read from verses 3 to verse 6, we see why the psalmist is praising God for his greatness. In verse 4, he talks about his mighty acts. In verse 5, he talks about his glorious honor. 
In verse 5, he highlights his majesty and wonderful works. And in verse 6, he says, I'm going to declare all his, all this everywhere, all his greatness everywhere. And I say everywhere. To David, that was everywhere he went. Because this praise is in the canon of Scripture. It literally can be found almost everywhere on earth today. The praise of David. And folks, simply put, King David is exalting the name of God above all. Verse 1, I will extol thee. Verse 1, I will bless thy name. Verse 2, every day will I bless thee. Verse 2, I will praise thy name. Verse 3, great is the Lord. And in verse 4, he goes on to say that different generations will praise his works and his mighty acts. Folks, do we praise God? Do we really praise God enough? We're living in a day when there's coronavirus and there's problems and there's lockdowns and there's different rules and regulations. And sometimes we get to gripe and so forth. But do we really praise God for who he is and what he has done for us? David does not only praise him for who he is, but for what he has done. In verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And Pastor Gavis has been preaching about how we ought to be out there witnessing to others and how we ought to be out there telling about the wondrous works of our God. And here David is saying exactly the same thing. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Can we say we do likewise? Can we say that we, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, go out and speak of the wondrous works of the majesty on high? From verses 6 to verse 10, David says that he, amen, and generations will praise his name for his many wondrous acts. And how true this is and was to David. Whenever you think back, and we're not going to go over all the scriptures, but David had much to praise God for. God's greatness in Israel's exodus from Egypt. That's a message on its own. The parting of the Red Sea. The conquest of Canaan. The victory over Goliath, personal. David's escape from King Saul. He had much to give God thanks for. Think back over your life, folks. Think back over how God has worked in it and through you, maybe to reach some other people. David was filled with praise, and every day, because of God's greatness and God's wondrous acts, he says that he was going to tell everyone that he came in touch with. Then we come to verses 11 to 13, and here the emphasis is on the glory of God. Folks, what a beautiful psalm this is. It would do you good, do your heart good, to read it over and over and over again. Get it into your mind. Let it speak to you. Let, it, let you be a doer of God's word. May it be that whenever you, uh, we read, I will extol thee, make it personal. Make it personal. 
O King, and I will bless thy name forever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Make it personal that we make it up on a daily basis and bless and glorify our God. What a beautiful psalm this is. And it's here at last that we meet, as it were, the missing nun. Or should I say, where did it go? But first of all, look at where Davis' emphasis is. Before we get on to the missing nun. The gloriousness of God's kingdom. Let me read verses 11 through 13 again. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. Those kingdoms rise and fall and has done so since the beginning of time the Egyptian dynasty the Babylonian empire the Medes and the Persians the Greek empire the Roman empire the British empire and the so called superpowers of today America, Russia, China and so forth all come to nothing all have come and all has but gone but his kingdom will endure throughout all generations. It's a glorious kingdom that knows no end. And folks, it may well be until we are in the eternal kingdom that we will not know what happened to the missing none. Now let me explain. I'm certainly not a Hebrew scholar. Far, far from it. So I often have to take the word of reputable scholars. And as I studied this Psalm 145, I understand that each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Bob, I'm going to put you on the spot here. How many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? Thank you. I'm glad you knew that. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. But there's only 21 verses in Psalm 145. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 21 verses in our psalm. So when the translators were translating this psalm into English, it was very easy for them to place the verses as per each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like having a poem in English and each verse starting with the letter of our alphabet. The first verse would be A, the second letter B, then C and so forth. Each of the verses which has supposed to start with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now either the verse which was supposed to start with the letter none is missing or they just did not put it in there. We don't know why. I've got the Hebrew alphabet in front of me. <laughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce it all. But you got Alpha, Bits, Gimel, Delta, He, Vav, and so on, right down to the 13th letter, and the 13th letter is Nun, N-U-N, but pronounced more like Nun, 
uh, almost the diff between nun and noon. Noon, okay? And then you have the rest of the letters up to 22. Now, the 13th letter is the letter noon. And this letter, for some reason, is missing. Uh, they picked one letter out of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet to leave out, and this is the one that's missing. All the others are there starting each verse. Now, this would have been verse 13 if it had been put in. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. And there seems to be no satisfactory answer to this missing none. In relation to this, one commentator has said, and I quote, We do not know why the none is missing, but when it comes to the matter of the glorious kingdom that knows no end, make sure you are not missing. End of quote. And I thought that was good. Make sure you're not missing like the missing none. Now, very quickly, just to finish this section, from verse 14 to verse 21, we see, as it were, the grace of God in action. It seems to dominate the psalmist's praise. Verse 14, He is the God who pities. Remember this. He is the God who pities those that fall. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall. And raises up all those that be bowed down. He pities them. In verse 16, he is the God who provides. Thy openest thine hand and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. So he pities and he provides. In verse 18, he is the God who answers prayer. The Lord is nigh unto them that call Upon him. So he pities, he provides, he answers prayer. He is the God that protects. Verse 19 says this He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. He protects them. He will hear their cry and will save them. Verse 20 He is the God who punishes and preserves. Verse 20 says, The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy, punishes them. So he is the God that punishes and preserves. Verse 21, He is the God who is praiseworthy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. His name is praiseworthy. He pities. He provides, he answers prayer, he protects, he punishes, he preserves, and his name is praiseworthy. So what a wonderful psalm this is. A psalm full of praise with one missing none. We have seen, as it were, the mystery of the twelve nuns barreled up. We have looked at the case of the missing none. Now we shall look at the four Roman nuns. Please turn to the book of Romans. And here we will study the four nuns. Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3. 
<clears throat> Romans chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 10 through to verse 12. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's pretty emphatic, folks. Very emphatic. There is none <clears throat> righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. There is none that doeth good. Today, folks, in the days we're living in, there is a push, a humanistic push, to have us accept the nobility of man. And if you go to church somewhere, if you're listening in tonight, if you go to church somewhere and the preacher is talking about the dignity of man and the purity of mankind and talks about the universal fatherhood of mankind, get out of that church. Do not believe a word of it, folks. This is dangerous theology. The word of God plainly says there is none righteous, no, not one. No matter how righteous a person thinks they are, the word of God says there is none righteous, no, not one. So the question must be asked, well then, has a man made righteous? Has a man made righteous? Well, the quick answer is, he is righteous when he measures up to God's standard. And that can only happen when a man is saved, when a man accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, when a man is born again. You know, there's four musts in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, it says, He must increase. That's the sovereign's must. I must decrease. That's the servant's must. Then in verse 14, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the Savior's must. In verse 7, it says, Ye must be born again. That's the sinner's must. And every sinner needs to be born again to become righteous so that we can stand in the righteousness of Christ. And it's the imputed righteousness of Christ. Not through anything that we have done, but through what he has done for us. The imputed righteousness of Christ. It is not man's righteousness. Because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. It's nothing that we can do. It's what God has done. It is not the law we measure ourselves against. Because each one of us can never measure up. We can never keep the law. Folks, God has a standard of righteousness. And each one who is not saved falls short of that standard. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
There is none righteous. But praise God, the word of God says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, some might say, maybe people listening in might say, well, that's pretty harsh. Well, I say, well, truth is often quite harsh. But if the word of God says it, whether I believe it or not is irrelevant because that settles it. Usually be a saying, say, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Folks, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If God says it, that settles it for good. There is none righteous, no, not one. The second none of Romans is found in Romans 3.11. There is none that understandeth. And it deals with the revelation of God. Folks, spiritually speaking, there are maybe at least three things that the natural man, or the unsaved man, if you like, cannot understand. He cannot understand the great manner of his own being. Man cannot understand himself. And by that I mean he cannot understand uh, your own being or yourself. Uh, how foolish is the so-called understanding carnal men have of their own lives. They do not accept God into their thinking. You know, there is a big push today for the human race to believe in aliens and UFOs. And people who have visited our planet millions of years ago, they say. There's a big push to believe all that nonsense. Someone even said that we came out of the Big Bang. Male and female crawling together, becoming a human male and a human female so that we could procreate after millions of years in the slime. Over hundreds of thousands of years we developed legs. While others, for some reason, developed wings. And others stayed in the slime and they're still there. Yes. Some people believe in the evolutionary rubbish. Folks... I really don't even want to give it the light of day. God's word plainly tells us that in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. God created man, out of which he weighed woman. And I've said, how foolish is the thinking of carnal men. The carnal man cannot know himself. There is none that understandeth. A second thing the carnal man cannot understand is the meaning of Christ's work. Because it's hid from their eyes. They might have education. They might have degrees and letters after their names. Some of them have PhDs. Pastor, what's PhD stand for? Post hole digger. Okay? So... They might even be a professor in university. 
But if they do not have Christ in their lives, then they, they really don't know, folks, the meaning of their lives. There's none that understand it. And we could go into the depth of that, but we don't need to. There's none that understandeth. The third thing that they do not understand is linked to number two, and that is the gospel. It's foolishness to them. And through the same foolishness, <laughs> through the same preaching, you and I get saved. And it's foolishness to them. And they say, how can a, a person who's put on a cross 2,000 years ago and die and get put in a tomb save me? And yet, we praise God for the same story. We praise God for the same Christ who rose from the dead and is coming back again. And that very soon. Just look around today, folks. <laughs> if you can't see the coming of Christ coming soon, then you need to sit down with pastor and he'll explain it all to you. Okay, but he is coming back very soon. Many a man or a woman have come to the house of God. They could not understand. But after being convicted of their sin, they repent and they get saved and they leave that same house of God with a greater understanding of themselves and what God has done for them. I remember the night I was saved. I was sitting up in the balcony and Aim Paisley was preaching the word of God. And I remember the place was packed but I could not see a person. I could only see the preacher preaching and everything else was just a blur. And I could hear him say, heaven or hell for eternity, which the decision is yours. And that night, I repented of my sin and got saved. And then I started to understand some things. Even though I had been going to Sunday school since age four, even though I had been taught these things, but once you get born again, once you get saved, once you become a child of God, it gives you a greater understanding of what God is all about. The carnal man cannot understand these things in his own strength. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts and enlightens such a one. There is none that understandeth. Then there are none that seeketh after God. Folks, Paul continues on with the theme of none righteous, none understandeth, and now none seeketh after God. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God and Adam, for a time, enjoyed fellowship together. But when Adam sinned, what did he do? For John, what did he do? He hid himself, didn't he? He had to hide. He hid himself from the presence of God. See, none seeketh after God. And folks, from that day, men have been condemned to be born in sin because we have inherited Adam's sinful, fallen nature. And the natural carnal man does not seek after God. The carnal man. The natural man. Adam hid in the trees. Well, the carnal man might say, but, but I go to church. You do not seek after God. The carnal man might say again, well, I, I read the Bible. 
You do not seek after God. Why would you say that? Well, because the word of God says it. There is none that seeketh after God. See, none, none, none means what? None, none, none. There's none that seeketh after God. And folks, whenever I say that, or rather when the word of God says that, it's talking about seeking in your own strength. Because it's through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We can seek God. You see, Isaiah 55, verse 6 says this. Seek ye the Lord. It's almost an oxymoron, if you understand that. Seek ye the Lord. None seeketh after God. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And folks, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truths. So folks, especially those that might be listening in today, either in person or listening in on live stream, whatever, you in your own unsaved strength cannot seek after God. But I pray that the Holy Spirit by his power will draw you in, as it were, that you might be convinced and you might be convicted that the word of God is true. That you might be converted to a new life in Christ. Because Christ died for you. There is none righteous. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And our fourth none is, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. And folks, you might say, well... I know many people who have done good. They've done good works. They've done good deeds. They've done good actions. Yes. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly. But that is not the intent here. It literally means no one can do good to buy their way or to merit their way to heaven. And it does not matter how many good turns you do. For other people. If it's in the flesh. It profits nothing. See Luther. Martin Luther. Believed that. The epistle of James. Was an epistle of straw. Because he came out of a system. That was full of works. Full of. You must do this and you must do that to inherit the kingdom and so forth. And James speaks about doing good works. But he missed out the point that when a person gets saved, it produces good works. But you don't do good works to get saved. That's the difference. Now it does not matter how many good turns you do. If it's in the flesh, it profiteth nothing. Doing good deeds every day, you will get the accolades of men, but it will not give you entrance into heaven. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Of course, there's so much more that could be said. But I just wanted to finish. Time's gone. In finishing on the nuns, I'd just like to turn the four nuns around, if you like. The first nun is 
there's none righteous. But it is also true that there's one who is righteous. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is completely righteous in every aspect of the word. What he said, what he did, everything was righteous about him. The second none was, there's none that understandeth. But here again we can say that our Lord fully understands everything. The third none was, there is none that seeketh after God. But praise God, there is one who sought after God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, our Lord Jesus Christ. And our fourth none, there is none that doeth good. Our Lord went about doing good. His life was good. What he said and what he did was good. Our Lord fulfilled the blessed man of Psalm 1. He is the one who never walked in the counsel of the ungodly. He is the one who never sat in the seat of the scornful or stood in the way of sinners. He is the one who daily delighted in God's law. And he is the one who went to the cross so that none of us would perish. And so there you have it. Twelve nuns barreled up. One nun missing. And four Roman nuns found. The hymn writer has penned these words. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not thee. But while I passed my Saviour by, his love laid hold on me. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love, life, lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. The pleasures lost, I sadly mourned, but never wept for thee, till grace the sightless eyes received, thy loveliness to see. Wonderful words of life. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we just give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee, Father, that we can look back in history and see how you have worked in the, in the lives of others. We thank thee, Father, for the psalmist who wrote that beautiful psalm of praise. We thank thee, Father, for the book of Romans and the exhortations we have within it. And we do pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we may have been uh, uplifted in our most holy faith and drawn closer to yourself. We pray now, Lord, that you just bless and undertake in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.